Mike Storm, and together we aim to solve cybersecurity challenges one principle at a time. The only way to be unhackable is to outwit the attacker. Deception is the method. Knowledge of how to deceive is the means. Taking your security personally is the motivation. This is Unhackable, your security podcast about deception and personal security. Target acquired. Let's go. Sun Tzu in The Art of War said, Of the five elements, none is always predominant. Of the four seasons, none lasts forever. Of the days, some are long, some are short, and the moon waxes and wanes. In short, the The only constant constant is change. And with that in mind, I've got a special treat for all of the listeners out there. We're bringing somebody from behind the scenes to the forefront, Mr. Nick, the producer who's been in charge of making unhackable what it's been. This entire time, all the sounds, everything that you hear on Unhackable comes from Nick. And now Nick is going to come to the front and talk with me from time to time about various things on Unhackable. So, Nick, welcome, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Mike. If I was any better, I'd be selling tickets. (laughs) Stealing one of my lines now, right? That's good. So for the listeners out there, we're bringing Nick in because Nick participates in many of the same things that all of you do as far as online activities and so forth. And we've had a lot of conversations about keeping our day-to-day practices and our day-to-day activities secure. And, you know, Nick, I'd love to hear from you some of the things that are important to you. Maybe we can have a quick conversation about security. Yeah, sure. So some of the things that come to mind are I get a lot of text messages. I get a lot of emails. And for the most part, it's pretty easy to sift through them. But you you just never know what it is that's coming in. And I've been obviously listening to the podcast for a long time. So I know if something comes through from a bank that I bank with or from a, a vendor that I do use, I can go directly to the source. I can actually type in their domain.com log in myself and see what's really going on. Or if I get one of those calls from Edison where the truck is on their way to the studio and they're going to shut off the power or something, I can log in and see, no, my bills are paid. That's another junk call. But it's just getting harder and harder to sift through this stuff these days, Mike. You know, you're absolutely right. And they're getting so creative in the way that they put this stuff out there. It's challenging for folks that are in the cybersecurity industry to do this, much less everyone else in the world, right, that isn't really focused on security every day. One of the things that I've noticed is we're starting to see more and more activities that actually appear to be extremely, extremely legitimate. Right. So there's enough public information out there that, you know, most bad actors that are looking to uh, execute nefarious activity can find out information about you. Most identities have already been stolen. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we probably don't see the amount of identity theft that we used to because it used to be such a targeted thing where someone would steal another person's identity as a targeted attack, if you will, and really go after taking over that person's identity. Now, so much has been stolen in data breaches that identity. Identities are sold for less than a dollar on the dark web. And that means that they can get all kinds of information about you, including your bank. So what I'm hearing from you and what I absolutely love to hear, Nick, is that you are using one of our primary principles in keeping yourself safe, which is, you know, watching what you click. You're actually moting yourself at this point. You're taking that path towards that resource that you know is safe, even if something else has provided you with a text or a URL or a, you know, even an email message with information in it that indicates that you need to click. You're not, you're actually taking the safe road and that's, that's incredible. So great job. Hey, anything else that, uh, are you getting into? Mike, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you, what's the simplest thing that we could do to get things? I mean, we don't want this to be complicated. We want people to actually do these things. I want to be able to take the time to do this. 
Right. You know, I would say the recommendation that I have for everyone listening, and this goes for somebody who's in security every day or someone who's just interested in making sure that they're limiting their exposure. Multi-factor authentication is probably the single most important thing anyone on the planet can do right now. It's even recommended for businesses to help protect against things like ransomware. And the reason for this is multi-factor authentication adds a value to the number one thing that you have that an attacker needs in order to compromise or exploit your information. And that is your identity and your access to something. What multi-factor authentication does is it adds an extra value that the attacker doesn't necessarily own. Now, again, we've talked about this in multiple episodes. It's probably due for an update anyway, because a lot has changed. But one of the things that is critical if you consider the fact that there has been millions of credentials that have been stolen over the past just 10 years, you know, attackers have taken those credentials, which is username and password. They leverage tools to be able to script and automate massive, massive attacks against common process, common services, where they'll leverage all of these stolen credentials to see if they can find one that works. They have prediction algorithms that allow them to look at stolen user history. And, and this is, by the way, is completely automated. You don't even have a person that's out here doing this. This is stuff that's done purely from compute itself to predict what your next several passwords would be. And these algorithms will actually script and run this stuff in mass. You're talking millions and millions of requests to a variety of sites, you know, be them financial sites, retirement sites, health sites, whatever it is. And, you know, the goal is to somehow use that stolen username and password to get into that service and, and to somehow compromise the data, compromise the finances, compromise the crypto, whatever it is. But the thing that really changes the game with multi-factor is all of a sudden you are adding a value that's required that the attacker is not going to get from a data breach. So having, you know, a message and, and we're starting to see more and more websites today really offer this as a default or even something you can't even opt out of, which is to send you a message when you use your username and password, whether that's text, whether it's email, they want to make sure that it's you. They're doing verification of the identity. And that is so, so important because it's the one thing that actually stops the process of credential theft and credential reuse attacks like we've seen in mass for so long. And it's one of the very few things that actually stops, in many cases, the ransomware process for businesses around the world. A couple things I would say, emphasize the importance of this. Uh, wherever you can use it, you should. That's the first thing. The second thing is try to pick the most secure method. And you mentioned this, you mentioned authenticator apps. Not every site out there is going to allow you to store their information in an authenticator app. Not everybody has them. So, for example, some banks do not use an authenticator app. They use their own system. So you're limited to email or text. And a lot of people will say, well, which one should I use? And I will tell you that right now, email is always safer than text because there's so much more infrastructure that would have to be compromised for an attacker to really to be able to see your email in real time during an authentication process. We do know for a fact that there's been many, many ways, many methods of attackers being able to intercept text or SMS messages. They've done this at the infrastructure level, so we can't rely on that. You know, So the best thing you can do is to get an email. Sometimes it takes an extra 
extra minute or two. And I think that's the biggest problem with security is that security has traditionally always reduced convenience. Anytime you're dealing with somebody who's in a hurry or someone who expects things to flow <laughs> really easily and doesn't want the extra activity to take place. And this goes for, like you were saying, your, your elderly family members or friends that might call you or whatever. They're just not used to that whole process. And it seems odd. It seems weird. It seems out of place. But I will tell you, it's absolutely necessary. And it's, it's certainly one of the most important things that we can do. An authenticator app is great because now you're not limiting the activity to a phone number where a text message is being sent or even an email should an entire email system have been compromised. Even if you're using cloud-based email systems, we have seen you know many times where those get compromised. But authenticator apps are great. You know, Microsoft has them, Google has them, Cisco has them. We have our Duo mobile and, and so forth, which is quite effective. And I do, in fact, use that for quite a lot of the services that I access online that do support generic authenticators. So definitely number one, number two, and number three, most important has to do with multi-factor authentication. You know, something funny that came to mind is I realized that there are some accounts that, that I may have or a friend or a family member may have that we just don't care about that much. But what I'm picking up from what you're saying is that if they can get into that information, that will give them information that will lead them to the information that they need to get into something I don't want them getting into. Yeah, well said. In fact, every listener can ask themselves the question, am I 100% sure that I've never used the same username and password in two places in my lifetime? And if you can't answer yes to that question, which most people can't, myself included, any password, any username password combination is at risk of potentially leading to a further breach of something that you're not even watching or paying attention to. And that's you know something that not a lot of people think about is that we call it credential reuse. And that credential reuse means that I use the same email address and I duplicate my password in more than one place. And if only one of those is compromised, of course, everywhere I've used it, uh, there is a chance that it could be used against me. So what you're getting at, Mike, is that there's really no safe place to play it loose. Well, yeah. Imagine this. Imagine I have a list of a hundred really key websites that I'd like to access. You know, all the banks, all the retirement sites, investment sites, all these things. I, I want some money. I want to monetize this because remember, that's what drives attackers today is monetization of what they do. And I just steal your credential. Now, what's my next step going to be? And I'm not saying that they they ever do anything at this small a scale. This is just provided as an example. But I take your credential some somehow, some way. Maybe I get it from a public email breach or something. And so I've got your credential. What do I do now? I turn around and I attempt to log in automatically using that credential to that list of 100 sites. And if you've duplicated that information on any of those sites and you're not using multi-factor authentication, I've just gotten in. I have the ability now to change your information so that you can't get in ever again. I have the ability to take whatever's there. It could be finances. It could be something as simple as you know Instagram, your pictures. I mean, things that are important to you, things that are private that you don't want people to have. And so that's why it's really critical not to reuse credentials, but if it ever happens, having multi-factor authentication can give you that extra element of protection from this type of a credential reuse attack. Okay, multi-factor authentication, well worth the investment of making that second step to get yourself in. Never reuse credentials. Build a moat, go directly to the source. And what about authenticator apps? The authenticator? Well, and, and that's the thing that's a challenge here is the technology to defeat most attacks exists. Whether or not everyone uses it is kind of the second phase of the problem. It's one of the reasons why the Unhackable podcast was created, was to educate, to make sure that folks that have the ability to implement some of these things can do their best. 
because it really does take all of us working together with a common set of principles and practices and behaviors to really cut down the attack surface that's available to the attacker. And so, you know, yeah, I get it. I wish that every site that I went to would allow me to use an authenticator app because then I know for sure that nobody's taken over that, right? Yeah. I, it's not spoofing a cell phone. It's not taking an email. It's something that not only do I have and know, but something that's actually serialized back to another system that's completely independent of the transaction that would also have to be compromised. And my phone and my, you know, my email, everything that's part of the process would have to be compromised at the same time in real time for someone to be able to spoof that and use my credential. Don't be the low-hanging fruit. That'll be the theme. Don't be low-hanging fruit. In fact, as we talk about multi-factor being one of the most important things, there are some changes that have happened over the course of time since the very first episode of Unhackable, we talked about multi-factor. A lot of different techniques now. We see what's called passwordless authentication, which indicates that, hey, you know, password's always been the weakest link. Let's take the weakest link out of the scenario and let's use something like a biometric, whether that's a fingerprint or, you know, retinal scan or a facial recognition some of these other things, or even a, a device. Like I have a device that plugs into my system that my authenticator app references. It's called a YubiKey, which is just one of the many brands of uh, physical hardware device. Anytime I authenticate, that little YubiKey lights up. It's lighting up based on you know my system, the serialization, the certificates, all the things that are involved in that thing lighting up, they know it's me. So if I touch it, they know that I'm physically the one that is trying to execute that transaction. So that's also a really good way. And I don't have to worry about a password. I don't have to worry about a password manager, right? Because we've talked about this in the past on, on Unhackable. We want to use complex passwords, but most of the time a password complex enough to defeat most of the simple algorithms or the common practices are too complex to remember. And it's one of the reasons why people resort to simple passwords so they can remember and type it in. But a password manager can help to prevent the need for that. But you know, certainly passwordless authentication, biometric authentication, there's some things called like Windows Hello, which is something new that we're seeing on Windows machines that actually recognizes your face. And I believe if you have an iPhone or an Android, many of those will do the same thing. They'll recognize your face as a means of unlocking the phone and sometimes executing transactions and things like this. So the industry is getting there. But in a nutshell, not every target that we have to use from the standpoint of banking or medical or investment or crypto may always fully support the most extreme security measures to keep us safe. And so we have to make up for the difference as the consumer. So when they're coming after us, are they trying to get us to click on a link or are they trying to pump us for information? Like what are the signs that they're really coming after you? What are they looking for? Well, you know, the landscape has changed enough that the likelihood that you are being targeted, unless you're a you know CEO of a large organization, or uh, you know maybe you're someone who has a lot of money tied up in cryptocurrency or something like this, it's actually quite low compared to what it used to be. Identity theft of an individual person by another individual person was as common as check fraud, and so it was certainly one of the the biggest topics in cybersecurity that we would talk about. You know all the things you would do, you know shredding all your mail, even address labels that would be on packages would get shredded, making sure that you kept all that stuff cleaned up and along with all the digital practices that we would do. But because of the way that the attacks have been monetized with things like ransomware, different types of, of activities where cryptocurrencies can't be traced, for example. So being able to take somebody's wallet, you normally, you know, your digital wallet is gone. It's not insured by the FDIC, for example. So, you know, can be completely untraceable. But I will say this, the attackers have gotten good 
at increasing their chances of monetization. And so instead of going after one person, unless that person's a high profile target, they can go after the low hanging fruit by doing things at massive scale, millions and millions and millions of requests per second. You're literally throwing it out there and seeing what they get back. So when you got that text message, that text message was not only sent to you, was probably sent to hundreds of thousands of subscribers at the same time. And it might've had very slight modifications based upon algorithms built into their programs uh, that can do things to make it look more common to you. I mean, this is something that's much, much easier to do these days than it once was. Uh, very, very automated. We have to think that attackers pretty much have access to all of the technology on the planet, whereas we only have access to what we can do to protect ourselves. So the, it's really not a fair fight, but chances are good. If you're getting a text message, somebody else got the same one or one similar, and they may not be coming after you. Now, you know, you go through all the steps, you lock your credit, you make sure you're using good financial practices. You do the little things that make the biggest difference when you start to see you know hits on your credit that's a good indicator that somebody might be targeting you if you're into cryptocurrency you got to be super careful because it is untraceable you know not every application that's used to manage cryptocurrency is truly secure uh, so that's a big one that uh, we have to worry about if you're investing in crypto and I know more and more people are doing that these days but just common practices that uh, that can really affect and make you a harder target against these cyber attackers you know we'll have a chance now Nick to talk about a lot more these on upcoming episodes as well. Sound good to you? Yeah, of course. I got a lot of questions. Uh, yeah, the whole cryptocurrency thing, I, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be the next big thing and a lot of people are getting into it and then you see him going on Twitter, but then it's like, oh, so-and-so is a big crypto guy. And it's like, doesn't that make you a target? Yeah. <laughs> I would say. And, and, and you know, we, we really don't know how it's going to play out. I heard a recent report that El Salvador uh, was testing uh, Bitcoin as its national currency. I was watching a, a news report. And even as the news reporter walked around trying to find a store that actually took Bitcoin was hard. And if you're a vendor, I mean, think about it. Cryptocurrency, one of the things about it that's so challenging is you never know if it's going to be worth a dollar or 80 cents or a dollar 25 tomorrow. And if you're selling a product, if you're selling goods that are worth a certain amount and you get paid in Bitcoin and the Bitcoin value drops, well, you've just sold that product for less. So it, it's a challenge. And I and I think it's going to be a challenge for you know worldwide adoption as far as all the things we're used to doing every day. As an investment, it's a little different because it's just like a stock, right? It goes up and down. But from the standpoint of it becoming an actual currency that we'll use on a day-to-day -day basis, I think they've got some bugs to work out of it yet. It's going to be really interesting to see how that all develops. I, I think we're going to see that in our lifetimes. I, I would agree. I would agree. Let's let's definitely dedicate uh, an upcoming episode to cryptocurrency because I think it's really important to share what we know about the exposure level, about some of the things you can watch out for, and of course, some of the behaviors that you can uh, activate that'll help keep you protected. You know, you mentioned ransomware, and, and I remember back in the 90s and 2000s, ransomware was a big thing, but a lot of us in the creative environment, we're using Mac. Doesn't that protect us from that kind of garbage? Not necessarily. I mean, it's uh, no kidding. You know, just because. No, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. There's there's actually plenty of attacks against Mac. Uh, there's plenty of attacks against uh, you know a variety of of Apple services. I mean, no one's immune. So this is not pointing fingers at Apple uh, any more so than anyone else. I mean, it, every system is based upon code, and all code is based upon binary at some point. And you know, it's it's only a matter of time before 
uh, something is is found. And there have been known exploits on Mac. In fact, just because you're running a Mac machine doesn't mean that your drive can't be encrypted with a different key that you don't know. It is something that Mac does support is, is disk encryption. And it's very possible that you could actually have your machine encrypted via ransomware, even if you're running a Mac. Wow. So we're really not immune to anything. Exactly. And that's that's the one thing to remember is that, uh, you know, there is no such thing as actually being truly unhackable. We can just do our best to reduce our exposure, to make ourselves a harder target uh, and really work together in, uh, you know, in, in trying to defeat the enemy, because that's that is what they do. This is their their full time job. It's their day job. It's how they make their money. And many of them are making millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, just building things for other people to use. So they're not even breaking any laws because they're not actually stealing the data. And so it's a huge industry, trillion dollar industry. You know, it's a lot of money. A lot of money is at stake here. And uh, it's certainly why we want to be aware of what we can do to make ourselves a harder target. Yeah, Mike, all this stuff sounds incredibly inconvenient. I mean, you just get a text message, you want to click on it, figure out what it is, move on with your day. But it takes a little more time. But the impact of what could happen here if we do get compromised is so much more serious. Yeah, if it can even be fixed, right? So that that's the thing that a lot of people don't really understand. And I'll just point to one thing. When was the last time you logged into a site that you hadn't logged into for a while and realized that you forgot your password and had to use the reset password option? So imagine that somebody gets a hold of your phone and you've been using your phone for multi-factor authentication messages, or let's say they spoof your number, which can happen as well. So all of a sudden they're receiving your texts. All they have to do at this point is get one of your accounts. I forgot the password, but I know the email address, but I forgot the password. I'm going to reset it. The reset link goes to the phone. I reset the password. I now own that account. They can change everything. They can take everything away from you. You'll never get into your bank again. You'll never get into your crypto again. You'll never get into your Instagram or your social media again. They can take it all. And we have stories of folks that have had this happen to them, predominantly because of cryptocurrency, because that's you know such a transparent type of currency. It can't be traced. We see that as a target a lot, but we've many stories about folks that have had, you know, their, their identities compromised as a result of, you know, a text message by someone who's doing, uh, you know, doing some of the stuff we talked about in like episode five, I believe, uh, in one of the mini casts on uh, defending your second factor, which is really important. And literally they were locked out of everything, locked out of their phone, locked out of their bank, locked out of their social media. Everything was gone. There was nothing they could do to fix it. Well, I don't want to get locked out of my stuff, Mike. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. I just, kind of thought I was immune to it because I'm just under the radar and everything, but well, you know, no one's immune. And, and I like that we could have a general conversation because I'm hoping that it will uh, provoke some thought for other conversations that we'll have in the future as we kind of go through this process together and, you know, talk about some of these things. So anything comes up, write it down. We get together the next time. We'll, we'll focus our uh, focus our efforts on, on one of those topics uh, in the next episode. That sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Thanks, Nick. Now, while we can never be completely unhackable, we can certainly increase our awareness of the attacker's capabilities and motivations so we can learn to deceive them by changing our digital behaviors and implementing cybersecurity best practices that make us a harder target. And of course, to ultimately make our information harder to steal. In the infamous words of Sun Tzu, the greatest victory is that which requires no fighting. I hope that you will find the techniques and tactics that you hear on the Unhackable podcast to be useful. Our digital well-being and the future of other generations depends 
on all of our efforts combined. This is Unhackable, solving cybersecurity challenges with grit, one principle at a time. This is Mike Storm, and until next time, thanks for listening.